0: Allow me to add my word of welcome to you all. My name is Nick Price. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and uh, it's my joy to be continuing with you as we are moving through this series that we are calling the Being Challenge. It is a 40-day journey in which we are looking at Jesus and spending time with Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. And specifically what we've been looking at is we've been looking at some of Jesus' habits. What are those things that he did on a daily basis? How did they shape his life, his priorities, and how might they do likewise in our lives if we were to follow suit? That's really what we've been doing as we've been moving through this series. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the fourth habit of Jesus, which was seeking solitude. Jesus took time to be separate, to be apart, to be alone with God. And so we're going to be looking at that Um asking what that means and why it's important for us in our lives today. But I think it's only right that before we dive into God's word, we actually seek a little bit of solitude right now and allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together as your people in this place that we might meet with you. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed teach us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that help us to understand what it means to not just do life with you, but to become more like you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive that message. And I ask that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, my family has a little uh, tradition that we instituted once we moved back to this area. It's a tradition that we pull out every Halloween. Uh, When uh, the the neighbors and the kids start coming around through our neighborhood trick-or-treating, we take our fire pit from the backyard and we move it out uh, onto the actually the driveway of our house. And we set up some chairs. And the reason why is because we don't just want to hand out candy to the kids who are coming by. We want to have an opportunity to actually meet those families, to get to know our neighbors. And one of the things that we have found is that when we set up that fire pit, it creates this little, literally this warm area of hospitality on an otherwise usually crummy day. Now, this Halloween wasn't too bad. But you guys know, Halloween isn't always the nicest day in terms of weather. And yet, by setting up that fire pit, it creates this space where we can encounter and meet our neighbors. And as I was uh, putting together the fire this year, I actually started thinking ahead to the sermon for this morning uh, because I was starting to think a little bit about what it takes to actually build a good fire. Uh, there are a couple things that fire needs. You obviously need a, a fire starter. So whether that's matches or a lighter or flint and steel, or if you're going to do the Tom Hanks castaway method where you just rub stuff together really hard until it hopefully lights. Whatever it is, you need something that's going to get the fire started. Uh, you also need uh, fuel for the fire to burn. So you get kind of your kindling and your tinder and your fuel logs. You want to make sure you have all that. But there's a third ingredient uh, fire needs. You guys know what that is? Oxygen. Right, yeah, it needs, uh, every fire needs air. And anyone who's put together a fire successfully knows that if you just take all of your fuel and you just pack it into the fire pit and try to light it, what happens? It burns, it, it snuffs itself out. It doesn't burn out, it snuffs out. You get like a couple little flames and then just a whole lot of smoke. And before you know it, not only is the fire suffocating, but you are too, right? As the smoke kind of fills your lungs. What you need is you need air in there. And the only way you get air into a fire is by creating space between the fuel. Creating space between the logs, space between the, the kindling and the tinder, in order for the oxygen to flow in so that the fire can breathe. That's what makes the very best bonfires. And the reason I bring this up is because when I think about our spiritual lives, oftentimes when I talk to people about their spiritual lives, whether they're Christians or not, uh, they often say, would love to uh, focus on my spiritual life, would love to have some space to kind of pray or get in touch with the divine or whatever. But honestly, I'm, I'm just so busy. People talk about how it's hard for them to pray or to take time apart with God. And the reason why, I would argue, is because our lives lack space. They lack space through which that uh, life-giving breath of fresh air can come because honestly, when we look at our lives and our daily schedules, they are constantly crowded out by distractions, aren't they? We've got our cell phones in our pockets, which are constantly with us no matter what we do. They don't just go with us to work. They follow us home. They're by our bedside. We are ruled by that little notification ping that jumps up on our screens day in and day out. And I think part of the reason why we don't experience spiritual vibrancy is because, quite honestly, there's no space in our lives. Because we're constantly being bombarded by these distractions. In fact, I did a little bit of research to get ready for this weekend, and here's a couple of very interesting statistics. 70% of American workers are distracted on the job, with 16% saying that this was a constant state of being. Think about the economic cost of people at work, three-fourths of your workforce, being distracted from doing the work that matters most. That's, that's kind of crazy. And then you, you look at this: uh, the younger generations, 36% of millennials and Gen Z spent two or more hours of their work day looking at their phones for personal activities. They're looking at their phones during their work, not for the sake of work, but for personal reasons. Now, boomers, before you guys start scoffing at that, just keep in mind you invented smartphones and gave them to us. Okay, so it's really your fault. And for those of you who are Gen X and wondering what about Gen X, well, as usual, no one cares about Gen X. There's no data on you guys, sorry. It's just, it happened again. But, but let's get serious here for just a second. Think about this, 13% of fatal car crashes are the result of distractions from cell phones. 13% of fatal car crashes. And then this one really shocked me. The average American checks their smartphone every, hang on one second. What's going on here? Man, my phone is just blowing up with cat videos. Sorry, I had, to, I had to deal with that. Sorry, where were we? Oh yeah, average American checks their smartphone every 12 minutes. We check our smartphone every 12 minutes, which means at some point during this sermon, you're going to check your phone too, okay? I know it's coming. It's, it's going to happen. But this is, this is how distracted we are. And it's having a toll not just on our, our, our you know, work lives and our ability to drive, it's actually having a physical and psychological toll. I love how uh, the writer Juliet Funt, looking at some of the data in her book, A Minute to Think, wrote this. She said, when we perform complex intensive tasks without giving our brains time to recuperate, we experience cognitive fatigue. Studies have shown that the frontal lobe, the part of the brain controlling our highest levels of cognition and executive function, is particularly susceptible. Without the executive functions of the frontal lobe, we can't strategize and execute complex plans proficiently and effectively. Our brains are literally burning out because of the constant rate of distraction. And the implication for our spiritual lives is that our spiritual lives are suffocating in a world of distraction. No wonder we don't feel like we've got time to spend with God or to spend in prayer. And even when we do, why we feel so distracted is because we are constantly bombarded by these interruptions. And I think that's exactly why the keystone habit for this weekend is on the one hand so hard for us, but also so necessary. When we think about seeking solitude, we often see that as a luxury. Yeah, I'll take some extra time to pray or to think about life or to journal or whatever when I've actually got some time to spare. But one of the things that's worth noting is that if you look at the Gospels, over 39 times, Jesus actually sought out solitude. 39 times. But here's the really fascinating part, is noting when he sought out those moments. We actually get a good example of this in the passage that we read just a moment ago from Mark chapter 1. I want you to hear what was going on in Jesus' life. Jesus had just kicked off his public ministry. He called his first disciples. He had performed his first exorcism. He then uh, had uh, healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then we read this. It says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and also drove out many demons. Think about this for a second. Jesus has already put in his work day. He's already done his nine to five. And then it's in the evening that the whole town shows up at his doorstep, bringing people who he needs to heal, people whose uh, demons need to be cast out, wanting to spend additional time with him. What we see is that Jesus, at the very busiest time in his ministry, does what? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place. Jesus sought solitude, not as a luxury, but out of necessity. Let me say that again. Jesus sought solitude, not as a luxury, but out of necessity. It's because he was so busy, because he was constantly bombarded by the needs and the demands of other people, that he intentionally carved out space to get away and be with his father why did you do that well I'd argue that there are three things that solitude gives us that are important for us to understand three beautiful gifts that solitude gives us that help us to truly live life like Jesus to truly have space in which to breathe the first gift that solitude gives us is that solitude reveals competing priorities Solitude reveals competing priorities. See, this is something that I have definitely found. It doesn't matter how much solitude time I'm taking, whether I'm going away for like a retreat or I'm just trying to get like 15 minutes to sit down and to pray and to reflect. One of the things that I find is that the moment I do that, the moment I finally have turned off the phone and sat down and opened my Bible, where does my mind go? Well, it goes to the million other things that I think I should be doing in that moment, doesn't it? I may even be like glancing at the words on the page, but my mind is moving a mile a minute. And the question is, why is that happening? Well, it's because in that moment, God is revealing the competing priorities that are at the very center of my heart. Those things that I think are most important, most worthy of my time and attention and energy. And the danger is, is that if I don't address those things, they have the potential to dominate every other aspect of my life. And what I've come to see is that in those moments of solitude, when all of that stuff starts to just land at the forefront of my mind, it's right there that what God is doing is actually a gift. He's revealing what those competing priorities are. He's asking me to attend to the allegiances of my heart. He's saying, what is it that you've put at the center of all that you are so that even in moments of break time, you just can't get your mind off of them? I actually love how Archbishop uh, Archbishop William Temple put it. He said, Your religion is what you do with your solitude. And when we take moments of solitude, what we realize is that God wants to reveal those competing allegiances and set us free from them, to put them in their proper place and their proper context, to help bring them to the forefront of our mind so that they no longer operate underneath the surface of our hearts. That's the whole point. They reveal competing priorities so that God might set us free from them. Because while many of those things are good things, they are terrible God things. They are things which can quickly consume us if left unaddressed. And that's the gift that he desires to give to us. This is why Jesus took time in solitude. Because it was an opportunity for him to deal with priorities. There's another gift, though, that, that solitude gives us is that it silences competing voices. You see, it, when it, when it uh, reveals competing priorities, those are kind of like our internal voice. The, thing that we, the things that we tell ourselves are most important, but there are also external voices. People who come to us and tell us, well, this is what's most urgent, and this is what you should be spending your time on, and this is who you are, and this is what matters. And we have all these external voices that are constantly pinging for our attention. And yet solitude is this incredible gift because it's in solitude that those voices are finally silenced, that we get time away and apart to simply focus on God. We certainly see this in Mark chapter 1, right? Jesus has gone out to, to spend some time with his father in prayer, and it's almost like the moment he gets out there, what happens? Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Well, why are they doing that? Well, because they just saw something really, really, really awesome. And they, wanted, they saw Jesus healing and performing miracles and, and casting out demons. They're like, you need to come back into town in order to keep doing what you were just doing. And the reality is, is while that sounds like good advice, honestly, it's a distraction. You know, if you take the word distraction, you actually pull it apart. It's, it's really kind of like two pieces, dis and traction. Traction is like the way that you're going, the movement that you have. And to, to, to distract someone is to take them off course, is to draw them away. And these, these external voices that are coming at Jesus are saying, hey, you're doing an amazing job in Capernaum. Just keep doing that. That, that was great. Keep it up. Good work. And if Jesus had listened to those voices... What I would argue is that he would have become distracted from what was truly most important. If he had listened to the voice of his disciples, he would have said, yeah, okay, it is good to heal people. And he probably would have gone back into Capernaum and and waited there as more people came and brought to him all of their hurts and their infirmities, and, and he would have healed them. And maybe Jesus would have set up his own little hospital and he probably lived the rest of his days just kind of healing people as they came to him. Wouldn't have been a bad thing. But the question is, is that why he came? And I love that the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, no, let us go somewhere else, to nearby villages, so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. See, Jesus in solitude suddenly is able to get away from those clamoring voices and focus on that which mattered most. He understood that while healing is good and driving out demons is good, they ultimately were meant to point to his ultimate purpose, which was to come and proclaim good news to lost people. That's why he came. And those other good things could have easily pulled him off course if he listened to those competing voices. But by getting away in solitude, he was able to refocus on that which mattered most. Why? Well, that brings us to the third gift that solitude gives us. Solitude allows us to focus on the one person whose voice matters most. Solitude allows us to focus on the voice of God. By getting away, Jesus got time with his Father in heaven got time away from the distracting voices of the other people around him, got time away to deal with the priorities of his heart, got time away to finally attend to what his father wanted him to do most. That was the gift. And it was because he took that time in solitude, he was able to really truly stay focused on the mission which mattered, which was bringing good news to lost people in word and in deed. Not, to, shed, uh, not, not, not to, to set up shop for his own fame. Not to, to cultivate the shouts and the accolades of the crowd. But to go and to serve and to love. To bring good news to the lost. And the reality is that's why solitude is so important for us. Because we do indeed have competing priorities. We do indeed have distracting voices. But what God wants most is He wants to spend time with you. When we take time to be with our Father in silence and in solitude, we get to hear about His heart. His heart for us, the love that He has for us, but also His heart for the people to whom He's sending us in the places and spaces where He's put us. And that's what He desires most. I don't know if you realize this, but that's actually the reason he came. That's the reason Jesus says, i got to go about to these other villages. Why? Because he wants to be with us. To be with his people. In fact, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Take uh, Mark chapter 3 for just a moment where Jesus appoints the twelve. All the other gospels have this moment where Jesus appoints his 12 disciples, but only Mark includes a detail that the others don't have. It says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. and they appoint, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Did you hear that? He called to him those he wanted. Why? So that they might be with him. Before he ever asked his disciples to do stuff for him, he invited them to simply come and be with him. That's what he wanted. And in fact, after he sends them out in Mark chapter 6, and they come back and they're so excited for all the stuff that they've done. Listen to what Mark writes. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus was like, that's great. That's great that you're living out the mission, but I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. Because it's in those moments that I will help you sort out the priorities. Where I will silence the clamoring voices. While I will remind you of the love that I have for you and why I have called you. And to what end I am sending you. When we take time apart with Jesus, we get to hear his heart for us. And for those to whom we are sent. We finally discover the purpose for why we're here. In a world of distraction and suddenly in those moments we start to look, live, and love a little bit more like Jesus. Why? Because we spent time with him. Those little quiet moments become beautiful places of transformation. Where God can breathe his Holy Spirit through the spaces of our lives and shape us to become his people. That we might be sent with his good news to those who are suffocating in a world of distraction and broken promises. Solitude is something that we don't take as a luxury, but that we cling to as a necessity. Because it's there that we encounter the one who made us, the one who loves us. The one who died for us and the one who rose again to set us free and send us out with good news. That's the invitation of this week. That's what we're invited to take an opportunity to do as a part of the being challenge over the next several days. Is to go out and take time to be with the one who loves us that we might be a part of the work to which he's sending us. So, it's with that in mind that I want to close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that your deepest desire is simply to be with us. And it's as we take time with you that you then form us and shape us as your people. Lord, help us not to to walk away from those beautiful invitations, but to realize that in every moment of silence and quiet, you are there. We don't need to go on pilgrimage or bring offerings in a temple. We simply need to sit and be with you. And Lord, in those moments we pray that you would transform us, you would shape us, you would change us, that we can be your people sent with your good news. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.